Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Pastor Dwayne and I were talking this morning. We actually did not plan this in inviting me to come and talk about the end times. Um, today is 9-11, so we're at the 21-year anniversary, of course, of 9-11, which I think in so many ways it really was a prophetic turning point, and it impacted me and my journey um, in a significant way, but we're also just a little bit past the one-year mark of the U.S. military pullout of Afghanistan, which I think is also a momentous time marker in terms of a transition in the global power structure of nations on the world stage. Um, the, the U.S. humiliation on the world stage, the resultant lack of trust of America, American government, U.S. military around the world, the ripple effects of that are profound. Um, and we're gonna talk about that a bit, but I, I don't think it's a coincidence that I'm here today on 9-11 um, talking about these things, and I appreciate pastor's reminder that when we talk about the last days, it's not about the end of the world. When I first got saved, I didn't know Bible language, and it said in the Bible, it says, he who has the love of the world in him can't love God. And I was like, but I love the world. Like, I love the trees and the mountains and the bunnies and such, right? Like, I'm, I like nature. I love the world. I didn't understand when it says the world, it means this present, wicked, tired, aging, corrupt system. It's this age. The Bible refers to it as this age and the age to come. This age is coming to an end. The age of corrupt politicians and dictators and human trafficking and an industry of abortion and division and hatred. It's the end of political ads. There will be, after Jesus returns, there will no longer be any political ads on TV. Woo! There'll no longer be the vast majority of politicians in general. No, I'm just kidding. Um, It's the end of sickness. It's the end of opioid addiction, fentanyl overdoses. It's the end of getting old, premature. It's the end of sagging uh, and all that comes with it. It's the end of all of the things that make us groan. But it's not the end of the planet. It's the beginning. It's the renewal. It's the restoration of all things. And so when we, as we will talk today, a bit about some of the signs that precede the coming of Jesus the signs that come beforehand, it's important for us to recognize these are just the signs of the coming end of this age and the beginning of everything that has been designed and built into us to yearn and groan for. Okay, so it's not just, you know, sometimes when you talk about the end times, it can be a little weird. Jesus referred to the signs that precede his coming as the birth pains. And, you know, he wants us to understand these things. In fact, let me read the first scripture that I have today. It's Matthew 16, verse two through three, and this is important. Jesus expects us to understand these things, but we need to understand their context. So Jesus replied to them, to those that he was speaking to. He says, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. So he's saying, 
Red sky at night. I, I learned this little, I don't know what you call it, saying when I was a kid. My dad was a commercial fisherman. And so I used to go fishing with my dad. And I used to say, red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky at morning, sailor's warning. So he says, in the morning, um, oh, the sky is red. And in the morning, you say, there will be a storm today for the sky is red. So if the sky is red in the morning, it's going to be a bad weather. And then he rebukes them. And he says, do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky? You know how to interpret the signs in the weather. But you cannot discern the signs of the times. So to be clear, because a lot of people will be like, end times, eh, you know, depressing, weird, I don't deal. No, Jesus expects us as his followers who have the word of God, who have the Holy Spirit, who have discernment, he expects us to be able to look out in the earth and discern the signs of the times. He expects us to do that. Now, on the other hand, I'm a big fan of um, Fiddler on the Roof, Tevia. You guys, on the other hand, on the other hand, the signs that precede his coming, the signs of the times, that's not what it's all about any more than the birth pains are what a birth is all about. If you're a husband and you, know, you come home from work and you're like, honey, three more weeks and the birth pains will be here. She's like, whack, you know, like what is wrong with you? But half the church is like that. They're like, hey guys, we're gonna have a conference this weekend and we're gonna talk about the birth pains. You're like, yeah, we want to understand things like the Antichrist, the Mark of the Beast, the signs of the times, but the main issue is the birth. It's the return of Jesus. It's the establishment of his kingdom. It's the resurrection of our bodies. We will be clothed with glorified, immortal, eternal bodies. And we get to eat stuff. Even after we have, right? That's why he gave us bodies. He gave us taste buds for a reason. Flavors and smells. Those, we're not, we will not be ghosts forever, right? Like that's not, biblical hope is not, we get to be ghosts. We, we escape this body. No, we get new bodies. Okay, that's biblical hope. So we're gonna talk about a few of the signs of the times. Now I... Oh, real quick, Pastor, because I jumped up. Second service, I want to be done by what time? Is it? So 10.40? Okay, sorry. I didn't review that beforehand. I get lost when I'm up here. 12.35, yes, that's, that's what I meant. 12.35. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to preach 11 hours straight. When Jesus returns, it will end my sermon. So I've got a map here just to help us understand. Okay, are there any realtors in the room? Any realtors? Yes, sir, I see that first time choice for salvation in the back. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I finally got someone to raise their hand. Um, what's a realtor say? It's all about location, 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 right? If we want to properly understand this book, what it says, the signs of the times, it's all about context, context, context. What is the context of this book? What is the geographic context of the Bible? Everything takes place in and around Jerusalem, Israel, and the larger Middle East. That's the context of the book. And the primary battles, the conflicts, the controversies surround Jerusalem and Israel and the Middle East. So I've got a map, throw a map. Oh, I forgot. Last, I was here four years ago. 
and I made a joke. I don't have one. Oh, wait, no, no, go back to the camera. I need to just check my male pattern baldness real quick. I, I need one of those in my bathroom, but it's not big enough. It's, it's not all that bad. Not as bad as I thought. Sorry, back to the message. Put up the picture. This is what I refer to as the epicenter of biblical prophecy. Jesus is coming back to establish his throne on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, okay? This is a very real place. You can actually hop on a plane today and go to the very location where Jesus is coming back to rule the earth from. Think about that. That's, it's a wild thought. Now, things will be changed. There will be some drastic differences. But Satan also knows biblical prophecy. And he has been determined to go after, he has been surrounding the throne of the throne of the king. Jesus is coming back to reestablish the throne of his father David, as the Bible refers to it. And Satan has been, if you will, surrounding the throne of David for the past couple thousand years. So this is the epicenter. This is the focal point of the prophets. They're speaking of this. And what that means is that the Bible is not primarily American-centric. And that kind of tweaks Americans a little bit. I mean, to a degree, we tend to think that the United States is the center of the world. Everything sort of revolves around us. We don't always articulate it that way, but there's kind of an underlying American thought process. And in fairness, we're a fairly isolated piece of property, but we think we're the most powerful economy and military. And since the world sort of revolves around us, God's world should also revolve around us. And the Bible should, and, and look, this book simply is not American-centric. It's Israel-centric. So we have to start there. That's the context of the book. So with that said, once you understand that, that this is where most of the battles take place, what I've been articulating for the past 20 years or so, and there's tons of great resources, books, and different things out on the table, by the way, um, and for what it's worth, I want to be really clear. I actually give my material away for free. If you don't, if you just have, see something there you want, you have resources, just take it. I'm, I'm serious, just take it. If you're able to leave a donation, we take Visa, Master, Credit. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you can leave a donation, but I'm sincere when I say just take some stuff. My, my heart, the, the time is too short. Time is too short. I want resources in people's hands. So what I've been articulating for the past 20 years is that whereas the popular view, if you read a lot of prophecy books and so forth, is that the Antichrist is empire and his religion will come out of Europe, this sort of uh, Emmanuel Macron, you know, somebody with good hair, good-looking guy, charismatic figure, that's the idea. That's the popular view of the Antichrist. What I've been saying is, guys, this book is Jerusalem-centric. And when you read what the prophets say, the nations that invade Israel, that gather together and form a coalition in the last days and invade the land of Israel and the nations that the Lord names and specifies that he will judge and save Israel from throughout the scriptures every single time. The Bible names names, peoples, regions, tribes, Every single time, it's either a Middle Eastern or North African nation that immediately surrounds Israel. It's their Muslim-majority nations. And so what I've been articulating is that the Antichrist, his empire, and his religion probably come out of Islam. 
And we've sort of been waiting for this new religion to sprout up, you know, like, whatever. Oprah's just going to send out an email one day, and everyone's going to be like, sign me up for the new religion. And just this new thing's just going to happen. And then they're going to start beheading us or whatever. Like, we have all these weird ideas. What I've been saying is, no, Satan knows biblical prophecy, and he's been preparing. He has been building a deception for the past 1,400 years. It's right in front of us. And 9-11 was a profound wake-up moment for a lot of Americans. You know, up until that point, they were like, I just thought you had, you know, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, just a bunch of different other religions. And all of a sudden, Islam is like front and center, and we realize, no, this is the fastest-growing dynamic, violent religion in the earth. It is the primary source of persecution against Christians in the earth. It's the primary source of anti-Jewish hatred in the earth. It's the primary source of anti-Zionism. What do I mean by that? Zionism is simply the Jewish people's right to live in the land that the Lord has given them and to defend themselves if necessary. And anti-Zionism is a demonic spirit. It's a demonic lust of Satan to possess the promised land, to possess the throne. Satan wants Jesus' throne. That's what anti-Zionism is. That's what it's spiritually behind the scenes. That's what it's all about. Now, I'm going to highlight the work of a couple ministries real briefly. One is Global Catalytic Ministries. This is headquartered in Tehran, Iran. We're going to show a video at the end. Um, very few people. When I, when I mention Iran, what do you usually picture in your head? Most Americans, when you say Iranians, you picture the Ayatollahs, you picture people shaking their fists, the Iranian nuclear program, Muslims, death to America, death to Israel, this type of thing. Very few people know or are aware of the fact that the fastest growing church in the world is actually in Iran. On, on, like in terms of missiological organizations that track these numbers, they'll say the fastest growing church right now is in Iran. It's amazing. We're going to, as I said, look at some uh, videos there. And the other ministry I'm going to focus on is FAI, Frontier Alliance International. They're headquartered in Israel. And both ministries, we're all friends, but we work in a few different countries. So in the next map, you can see the nations I've highlighted in yellow. These are the nations we're working in, in Iran, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, Turkey, Syria. We've got workers in Syria. We've got a um, couple teams in Iraq, actually three different teams in Iraq, Saudi Arabia, which Saudi Arabia, for what it's worth, um, we'll look at some videos there as well, is probably the fastest growing. We can't officially verify it, but based on our statistics, Saudi Arabia is the fastest growing church in the world right now. Think about that. We're here in Michigan, in the United States, and our numbers, quite frankly, are diminishing. And the church in Saudi Arabia and Iran are exploding. Like, that's, that's mind-boggling to think of. Uh, but it's beautiful, and I think it's really part of the Lord's plans. So there are two ways, but there's probably many different ways, but two ways that we're gonna, going to look at how is biblical prophecy being fulfilled in our day? What is there that we can gather together on a Sunday to actually look at some bad news and say, that's bad news, but it's encouraging 
because it proves that this book is true, that this thing is going according to plan, and that Jesus is coming back soon to fix this mess. So, you know, you go, I don't want to talk about birth pains. You go, I get it. But birth pains lead to something. They prove that something glorious is about to happen. So there's geopolitical signs. We're going to look at some geopolitical signs. Those are mostly negative, if I'm to be honest with you. And then we're going to look at some gospel signs. Because the scriptures make some statements concerning the gospel at the end of the age as well. And those signs are actually really good and encouraging. So we're going to look at a bit of both. Um, I want to start by saying a few things with regard to a statement that I made that I believe that the Antichrist will come out of Islam. What are some of the primary reasons for that? Well, as I said, Islam is the primary source of persecution. The scriptures are clear that at the end of the age, the Antichrist and his system would persecute Christians. And you go, well, I live in Michigan, you know, Grand Rapids area. I'm not being persecuted by Muslims. Again, the Bible is not primarily only speaking to the United States. I'm going to show you a map. Go to the next uh, slide there, the map. These are the nations where you have the most persecution of Christians in the world. Number one right now is Afghanistan. But if you go down the list, literally the top 20 to 40 nations, other than just a few outliers like North Korea and a couple other nations, overwhelmingly the worst nations in the world, not only are they mostly, again, in the region that surrounds Israel, but they are overwhelmingly the Muslim-majority nations of the earth. Now, I want to be very clear when I say all this. This is not Muslim bashing. Not all Muslims are evil or demonic or bad or want to kill you or behead you. We work with Muslims. We hire Muslims. We have great Muslim... Like, the vast majority of Muslims are good people. They are just like you and me, but they are following a system which, as a Christian, I have no problem saying, is demonic in its inspiration and origin. And when people truly give themselves to Islam, the result is it's not love and light and goodness. It's just the opposite. Islam is the primary source of persecution for Christians throughout the earth. That aligns exactly with what the Bible describes with regard to the Antichrist system. It's all also, as I said, the primary source of anti-Jewish sentiment, anti-Jewish hatred, anti-Zionism. And this is the issue we're going to look at a few scriptures when you look at what the prophets say, every single verse in the Bible, as I said, when they name the nations, point to the regions that will form this last day's coalition, they are always, every single verse, either North African or Middle Eastern Muslim-majority nations. There's not a single verse in the Bible that mentions a non-Muslim-majority nation. Now, does that mean, because the Bible doesn't mention Europe, that Europe will not be part of this. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is what the Bible emphasizes, we should emphasize. Where the Bible is silent, we need to be really careful. We need to be very, very careful. And then finally, there are many doctrines within Islam which align with what the Bible describes when it describes the system of the Antichrist. And we'll look at at least one of those issues as we move forward. So the first verse I want to look at is Micah chapter 5. Verse 2 through 5, this is the famous prophecy concerning the Messiah that would be born in Bethlehem. It says this, it says, you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, that's the village right next to Bethlehem, even though you're small, you're, of ins you're insignificant seemingly, you're just a, one of the small clans within the tribe of Judah, nevertheless, like David, 
He seemed smaller than his brothers. He seemed insignificant, yet that was the one the Lord chose. Bethlehem likewise, he says, even though you're small, out of you one will come forth from me who will be ruler over Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from days of eternity. Every scholar and commentator acknowledges this is a messianic prophecy about Jesus. But what does it say that Jesus would do? He will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. We say amen. Skipping forward, at that time. When? At that time, he will be great to the ends of the earth. During the millennium, after Jesus returns, the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I'm so looking forward to that day. But just before that, it says this, this one, this one will be our peace. Whose peace? Israel's peace. When the Assyrian invades our land and tramples our fortresses or our citadels. Now, you remember in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus militarily delivers Israel from the invasion of the Assyrian? It's not in the Gospels, is it? It didn't happen yet. It didn't happen during Jesus's earthly ministry, it will happen when Jesus returns, okay? Micah is not saying something here that will never happen. Jesus will deliver Israel from the Antichrist when he invades Israel's land and marches across her borders. And here, the Lord chose to refer to the Antichrist as the Assyrian. Now, there's kind of a spectrum of ways that we can interpret this and understand it. On one hand, you could get really rigidly literal, I think overly literal in my opinion, and say the Antichrist will be an ethnic DNA bloodline Assyrian. And I go, the majority of the Assyrians today are in northern Iraq. They're, most of them are Christians. They're Catholics. And you know, that's like a very rigid approach. The other side is eh, just, you know, Micah, the Lord through Micah was just using the historical enemy of Israel. At the time, it was Assyria. In the last days, it could be someone else, you know, somebody from Belgium or France. Who knows? And the term Assyrian there doesn't mean anything. It just means bad guys. I go, I think that's way too loose over here. I think somewhere in the middle is a pretty more, uh, a much more reasonable approach which go to the next slide, which is to say the Antichrist will probably come from at least within the regions of the former Assyrian Empire. You know, we're still being fairly loose, but he'll probably come from that region. Now, I would say this. What is more reasonable, looking at this passage, to say that, to say that he'll probably come from the Middle East, or go to the next slide to say that he will be Nikolai Carpathia from Romania as the over 50 million copies of the Left Behind series um, cast the Antichrist as this Romanian guy. Now, I'm not really picking on this, but just to highlight, this I mean, you taught 50 million copies in the series sold. Books like this, popular fictional books, have informed the Christian mind in terms of what we're looking for and expecting more than the Bible itself. Popular Fiction books have informed the Western Christian mind concerning the signs of the times more so than the scriptures themselves. I actually spoke with Tim LaHaye. He was a true gentleman before he passed. And I asked him about that. Why did you choose your Antichrist figure to be from Romania? And he said, well, I believe because Daniel 9.26 says the Antichrist will come from the Roman peoples. He says the Roman peoples will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And therefore, that means the Antichrist will be Roman. And I was like, okay, I get that argument, although I think it's a faulty argument. 
I said, but what about Micah 5? It says the Antichrist will be the Assyrian. And he literally said, I, you know, I never thought of that. And I was like, well, there's a clear, crystal clear scripture. Now, here's the thing with regard to, if you're an end time person, you study these things, the argument that, and this is like the foundational pillar for the idea that the Antichrist will come from Europe. It's Daniel 9.26. It says, the people of the prince to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And so people say, well, in 70 AD, the Romans under Emperor Titus destroyed Jerusalem. And they were Roman. Therefore, the Antichrist will be Roman. That's the argument. The problem with that is that Rome was a empire made up of numerous ethnicities. And the word there in the Hebrew is am, like A-M. And it, mean, it's, it has ethnic connotations. So if I left today after church and I was out in the parking lot and I got lost, which is possible, um, and I was wandering around looking for my car and, and, and someone from the Presbyterian church up the street came up and mugged me. And <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I don't, is there a Presbyterian church? Let's just say I got mugged. No, what would be a real wild, the Pentecostals, they're probably gonna mug me. No, just kidding. Um, let's say I got mugged in the parking lot and the police came and they said, give me a description of your assailants. And I said, officer, they were clearly Americans. What have I just said? I haven't said anything. I didn't give them any description. You could be any number of hyphenated Americans, right? America is a land of numerous ethnicities. Rome was the same way. You can't say the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, therefore the Antichrist will be Roman. It doesn't mean anything. Rome was an empire of Arabs and Syrians and, I mean, like, like you could go down a dozen different peoples. And by 70 AD, when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, the Italians, because the Italians were the original, right, Romans, and I can say this because I'm, I always thought I was Portuguese, and then I did the Ancestry.com thing. I won't go down that road, but it was, I could do the commercial, like, what? We thought we were Portuguese. And then my mother was like, oh, I forgot that story that grandma used to tell. Anyway, so I'm Italian, so I can insult Italians. And by the way, you can tell I'm Italian, not just, it's not just the nose, but, um, it's the hand, it's the gesticulation. But um, they were too lazy. The, the, the Italians were too lazy to fight their battles. So by 70 AD, they hired, their armies were made up of the provincial peoples. When they conquered peoples way over here in Syria, they conscripted the peoples from the region to fill their armies. And if they served for a while, they become Roman citizens. When you read Josephus, the peoples that destroyed Jerusalem and the temple were overwhelmingly described as Syrians and Arabs. They were, the, they were the neighbors. Josephus actually says that. He calls them the neighbors that were filled with, he says, with the hatred of neighbors. Okay, so really the foundation for this whole idea that the Antichrist is coming from Europe or Rome, it's built on a faulty interpretation of really one verse. So when we look at Micah, as we just saw, he's pointing to a different region. Now, is it more reasonable to say the Antichrist will come from the neighbors of Israel or it could be one of these guys. This is your comedic break. Go to the next slide. One of these characters. Um, everyone, and the, sure enough, though, guaranteed, there's going to be two people that will email me afterwards, and they'll be like, but he is the Antichrist, Joel. He is. Barack Obama's pulling the strings behind the scenes, and he's, and I go, okay, I understand you have your political, uh, you know, whatever, 
but let's stick with scripture. Let's not impose our political views onto the scriptures. Let's stick with what the scriptures say. I don't think either of these guys are the Assyrian. What does Daniel 11 say? Verse 40 through 41. He says, at the end time, in the last days, the king of the north, who is the king of the north? Daniel 11 is using the historical events of the invasion of the land of Israel by the Seleucid or Seleucid king Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV Epiphanes. He came from the north. He ruled throughout the region of Turkey, Syria, and Iraq. And Israel sort of got caught in between. It was sandwiched between this conflict between the Seleucid king in the north and the Egyptian or Ptolemaic kingdom in the south. And here, Antiochus Epiphanes, in Daniel chapter 11, is the single greatest foreshadow, type, or precursor of the last great dictator of the Antichrist in all of Scripture. This is the primary text that gives us a pattern for the Antichrist. And here, it's Antiochus Epiphanes, the Seleucid king. Now go to the next map. The region in purple, that's the Seleucid dynasty, or the Seleucid dynasty. Okay, again, the same region as Micah 5 is highlighting. The, the Middle East, Turkey, Syria, Iraq, that type of, that general region. Now let's look at Ezekiel 30, verse 1 through 5. Thus saith the Lord, wail, alas, for the day. The day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. What's the context here? The day of the Lord, the end times, the return of Jesus. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. A sword will come upon France. That's not what it says. It says Egypt. And anguish will be in Cush. That's northern Sudan, immediately south of Egypt. Put, North Africa. Lydia, that's Turkey. All of Arabia and Libya, the people of the land who are in league, they form an alliance. There is a union against Israel. Ezekiel names names. These are the nations that will be judged at the day of the Lord when the Lord returns. Every single one, North African, Middle Eastern, Muslim-majority nations, these are literal passages. The same theme is repeated over and over again. Why am I emphasizing this? Because when we look at the Middle East today, this is what the prophets were describing two and 3,000 years ago. The landscape, the geopolitical landscape of the nations at the end of the age. We look right now at the Middle East. Iran is rising. Turkey is rising. Radicalism among some of the nations is rising. Exactly what the prophets described is arising. This hatred, this ongoing demonic lust to possess the land, the promised land, to possess the throne of David, that's rising. Exactly what the prophets described is coming into focus. Are we there just yet? No, not quite yet. But it's coming into focus in a profound way. Now, I've got another map there, which is actually Ezekiel 30. The point is, they're all pointing to the same general region. Revelation 20, we talked about this issue of the, the ge geographic argument, so to speak. Revelation 20 highlights the nature of this system that's coming. <clears throat> John through, the Lord through John says, Then I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was given to them. These are the saints. 
And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. The primary way that the scriptures describe Christians being martyred for their faithfulness to Jesus in the last days is very strange. It's through beheading. Go to the next slide. I'm sure many of you remember the 21 martyrs, Coptic Egyptian martyrs. It's a horrible, horrible video. I did watch it at the time. I watched part of it. Don't watch it. It will, it will damage your soul. But to see these men just before their heads were sawn off of their bodies as they're praying and praising in Arabic, you can read their lips. One of them is just saying, praise you, Lord Jesus. Ya Rabbi Yeshua. Ya Rabbi Yeshua. Praise you, Lord Jesus. It is part of Islam's doctrine to behead infidels. It says, strike their necks. It's part of the history of how Muhammad did it. This is actually part of their religion in the nations, the regions that surround the throne of David. So whether we're talking about their doctrines, the regions, all of these things, it lines up. It doesn't really take tremendous amount of discernment to recognize that these things are coming into focus. Oh, this is an awfully dark message so far. Again, the birth pains are not happy. They're not good, you know, we're not excited about the birth pains, but they are signs for us to lift up our heads and be encouraged. Now, we're at the one-year mark of Afghanistan. Um, Pastor Duane told me you guys have been um, really involved, that you've helped rescue thousands, have been extracted. We've been part of GCM. We work with the underground church there in Afghanistan. We've been part of all of the same thing. We've helped like 3,000 people get out, safe homes. But we've also got roughly 4,000 that are still believers that are still in Afghanistan. The single greatest uh, nation of persecution in the earth right now. 4,000 believers. Those are the numbers that we have. And it's growing. People are getting saved. We just had a... Um, picture the other day that was sent to us of a couple baptizing each other with a bottle of water out in the desert. It's probably not technically biblical, but I don't care. You know, whatever works. Like they got this little like, you know, whatever, Dasani, and they're like, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, and uh, you know, getting saved. And we've got Taliban members getting saved. Like the gospel is spreading right under the nose of the beast. I love the way the Lord works. Satan's like, oh, prophecy? The Lord says he's going to do this? The Lord said he's going to do something amazing here? I'm going to establish my caliphate. I'm going to establish my government. I'm going to attack these people. And the Lord goes, I knew you were going to do that. And Satan's like, ah, you always know I'm going to do that. The Lord's like, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> like he's just a thousand steps ahead of Satan. And these, these dark signs, the collapse of our country, the collapse of morale, yeah, it can be incredibly deflating. But the, the Lord says, lift up your head because your redemption is drawing close. These are all the things that the prophets described. We should not be surprised. He said, behold, I told you beforehand. What is Afghanistan going to result in? American global humiliation lack of trust in the United States, and it's the rise of Russia. It's the rise of China. I wish I could say otherwise. America is being humbled. Nations like China and Russia are rising. They, they're looking, they're going, if we're going to act, now's the time to do it. A, a year ago, I said, you guarantee Putin's going to act, China's going to act. A month or so later, he invaded Ukraine. 
We've watched that unfold. Now China's going, oh, if we're going to invade Taiwan, now's the time to do it. Now, China and Russia, they don't want to destroy us, to be clear. They just want to be better than us. They want us to keep doing business. They want us to keep buying their goods. They just want to humiliate and humble us. And the main way that they're going to do that is they are already partnering with, getting behind, supporting this emerging Middle Eastern coalition of nations. They're getting behind nations like Iran. They're getting behind the government of Iran. They're getting behind Turkey. They're, they're partnering with the more radical nations. And what that will result in is the diminishment of the United States. And this is critical. Israel loses her biggest big brother. Israel loses her greatest defender. Or she doesn't lose us, but her, her biggest defender is, as, as I said, diminished, humiliated. And her enemies are strengthened. So whether Russia and China realize what they are doing by empowering our enemies, that's how they are engaging warfare against us, they are inadvertently fulfilling the will of the Lord. They're fulfilling biblical prophecy. And this will lead to the rise of this Islamic coalition of nations. That's essentially where it's moving. Now, a lot of bad news. There's more bad news. <laughs> The scriptures say in the last days there'll be a great falling away. I would say we're already right in the middle of it. It's amazing to me to think that here we are in this beautiful, very large church with plenty of parking. I was told to go to a particular door and I looped around like three times before I found it. Um, that just right up the street, and in all seriousness, like, this is incredibly sad. There was another mega church several years ago, right, that was growing and prospering. And to think of it, the very pastor himself and then the pastor that filled his place are no longer even Christians, apostatized, walked away, prominent leaders' voices once proclaiming the gospel. And you have some that will say, well, they were never really Christians in the first place. I disagree. I've known people, great men and women of God, running after the Lord, fasting, praying, memorizing scripture, who would say, it's not like, just like they backslid, they said, I'm no longer a Christian. And we're in the age right now where the issue that we need to lay hold of is perseverance, is, is laying hold of these things. It's long-suffering, endurance. Now, here's the good news. Yes, the scriptures speak of a great falling away in the last days. As I said, I think we're in the middle of it. The scriptures also, they also speak of a great outpouring in the last days. And this is the part, this is the gospel sign that prophecy teachers often don't talk about. They just focus on the negative. I think this is one of the big things that we need to focus on. Joel chapter 2. The Lord through Joel says this. It will come about after that that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. What days? In the last days. And then he makes it even more clear. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood. When? Before the great and awesome and terrible day of the Lord. Just before Jesus returns 
In that season, the Lord says, yes, there's going to be a great falling away, but that is not contradictory to him also saying, during that season, I'm going to pour out my spirit. So many will leave the faith, but then many will come into the faith. Our job is to stay in the faith, to persevere, to endure, so that we can witness with our eyes the glory of the great ingathering. And here's the irony. Right now, as many are falling away in the West, in the Middle East, in the very place where the Lord says, I'm going to allow Satan to raise up this last day's satanic resistance, this antichrist resistance, the Lord says, in that very place, right under the nose of the beast, I have one of the greatest revivals in history unfolding right now. And let me, let me say this, I'm gonna prophesy this. The revival is not just for the Middle East. It will sweep North America as well. Rest assured, revival will come to the United States as well. I can't support that scripturally, but I'm declaring that in confidence with, for many reasons. So Joel here lays out that in the last days there will be a great ingathering just before, and he, lists the, he, he specifies the cosmic signs. The sun goes dark, the moon turns to blood, etc., these are the signs of the return of Jesus. He makes it very clear in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in the sky, and all the tribes of the land will mourn when they see him coming in power and glory. A high percentage of people in this room with our eyeballs I believe, will witness the glorious return of Jesus. We will live to witness these things. I can't guarantee that. We're not supposed to date set. I get that. I feel so confident that many in this room, we will live to see the most glorious event in all of human history. So this is the context. In the last days, he will pour out his spirit. Now, you get these theologians that will say, no, that was fulfilled in Acts 2 at the day of Pentecost because Peter quoted it and he said, this is that, right? And I get that, but here's the thing, is within Jewish, the Jewish mindset, from a biblical mindset, prophecy is not one and done. It's not like, well, it was fulfilled here and it's all done. There are many what are called interim, preliminary, partial fulfillments, when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he goes, hey guys, these folks aren't drunk. <laughs> They're Pentecostals. Um, <laughs> it, there's a fine line. No, just kidding. Um, I, it is funny though, because he doesn't say like, They're not drunk. These are fine, upstanding Christians. He doesn't say that. He goes, They're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. <laughs> I don't know why that always cracks me up. Like that was his main point of, of excuse. But he goes, No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel chapter 2, which we just read. Peter would never have believed that that was the end of it and that was it. Because, again, Joel specifies the context is at the end times, the cosmic signs. Guys, this is a theology of revival. How do you know that you're saved right now? Because the scriptures say so. Ultimately. You can go on subjective personal feelings and experiences and all those are valid and important, but it's ultimately because this book says that we are saved. And this same book says there's going to be a great global revival. Now, I'm gonna highlight a ministry here 
and we're gonna show a video. Now, unfortunately, let me just say this. If you're watching online, at the very tail end, we're gonna pause the live stream for just a couple minutes. I can't show these videos online because it literally would put the people's lives at risk. And this is an incentive, by the way, to actually come to church because this is where the good stuff happens. You guys get the goodies. We're gonna show some videos, but let me just tell you about this ministry and then we'll show the videos. So there was a young radical, very radical Muslim named Padina. And she was observant in every way. She's from Iran and her mother had MS. She was dying. She was getting progressively worse. And they were talking, saying, she, the mother was saying she's gonna kill herself before it gets worse. And the father had left a long time ago, and so the daughter said, well, if you're gonna kill yourself, I'm gonna kill myself too, we're gonna to do it together. And they were planning on it, and the mother was watching a Christian satellite program beamed into Iran, and she actually called in. The daughter walks into the kitchen, the mother's on the phone praying to become a Christian, on the phone with this Christian minister, his name is Hormuz Shiriat, lives down in Dallas. And the daughter's like, what are you doing? We're just about to kill ourselves. Now you're apostatizing and you're gonna go to hell. And she rips the phone out of her mother's hand and starts arguing with Pastor Hamuz. And he goes, man, I had never met such a stubborn, I mean, and she went on and on and on arguing and he finally goes, look, okay. He goes, he goes you don't believe in Jesus, that's fine. You're gonna kill yourself, that's fine. He goes, before you kill yourself, here's what I'm asking. Give Jesus a week. Just give Jesus a week. Call me back in a week. And if he doesn't do anything for you, kill yourself. That's fine. Like, you can do whatever you want. But I'm saying just give Jesus a week. She goes, okay, fine. And in her head, she thinks, I'm going to commit suicide live on air on Christian TV, and Allah is going to love me for it. This is going to be my last going out with a bang. So she goes to sleep that night. She wakes up in the morning. Her mother couldn't walk. She couldn't, you know, she was losing the ability to talk. And she hears this noise and her mother's walking down the hall. And she's fine. And, and she's, what's going on? They go to the hospital. The doctor said, Who, which imam did you pray to? And she goes, we didn't pray to any imam. It was Jesus. And she said, she just, right at that moment, she gave her life. These two, this mother and daughter, have gone on to oversee one of the greatest revivals one of the greatest viral movements in Iran. So that's how this whole story started. Father, we thank you for all the good things that you're doing in the earth. Yes, the dark clouds are forming, but we're actually encouraged because we know that our blessed hope is just over the horizon. Give us endurance, give us long suffering, give us patience and give us faith to believe for things that in the natural are difficult to believe for. Give us faith to see revival in our midst. Give us boldness to share the gospel with those around us. Because this is, this gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation, apart from which no man will be saved. Give us confidence in these things as we look toward, look forward to your glorious appearing. We thank you for these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Say every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. The prophet in the Old Testament said the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. 
you may be here today and you're away from God or you're here and you say, I've never really surrendered my life. I've never said, Jesus, I receive you as my king and I turn from my old life. And, and literally, Jesus said, you must be born again. And that's giving him all of your heart and all of your life. So if you're away from God today, you don't know where you stand with God, or you say, I know I'm not right, I wanna be right, we're gonna pray a prayer together. If you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're gonna be right with God. If you're online, I want you to pray this prayer from your heart with us. Everybody, would you just make these words your own, pray this out loud, just say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer. My past is gone. And I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.